I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 38, beginning at verse 1 through 3. And the Bible says, In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So give me a few moments this morning with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Spirit to preach and teach on the subject of critical condition. Critical condition. Let's pray. Father God, we see from the pages of the Bible that trouble and misery are no respecter of persons. Whether one is a king and lives in a palace or one is a pauper and lives on the street, trouble visits all of us. Sickness and incurable diseases has hit mankind from the fall to the present. So Lord, as we look at this king's life and see what you did in his life, I pray, Lord, that we will be able to walk away from here today with something that we can apply. Lord, this man was told to set his house in order because he's going to die. And Father, knowing that all of us will die if your son should tarry and not return to take us home, we're going to meet him. Those of us who know him, we're going to meet him through death. And we thank you that death has lost its sting and the grave has no victory. That to be absent from the body for a Christian is to be immediately in your presence. So we thank you for the great grave robber, Jesus Christ, who took the sting out of death. And so therefore, Lord, we don't need to fear talking about death. We don't need to fear talking about preparing to die. Because you are the resurrection and the life. So, Lord, speak to us. Speak through me. Speak in spite of me. Get the glory. For it's in Jesus' name, the name that's above every name that I pray. Amen. Critical condition. As we can see in our text today, King Hezekiah was in critical condition. He was on his sickbed, which would also turn into his deathbed. You see, he had what the Bible calls a boil. And some modern translators will translate that boil as an ulcer, something that was inflammatory. Whatever it was, it put him in critical condition, and the prophet comes to tell him, you are about to die. 
Isaiah, who speaks the words of God as a prophet of God, comes and tells the king, set your house in order, for you will die and not live. What a word of prophecy. Um, for these people today who like to grab the title prophet or prophetess, not truly understanding the weight of what that means. They tend to normally have all positive prophecies about how you're going to prosper and you're going to get a house, you're going to get a car, you're going to be blessed and all this stuff. But very few of them will speak death to people because they think that that is not of God. But here we have the prophet Amos, Isaiah rather, who goes in and tells the king not what he wants to hear. And that's how you know you're speaking the words of God because sometimes you've got to say things that people just don't want to hear. The king didn't want to hear this. He wanted to hear that he was going to get well. Instead, he heard, set your house in order because you're going to die. The prophet had spoken. And as we look at that, what exactly does it mean to set your house in order? What did that mean for Hezekiah? who was feeble and struggling and hurting in his body. Later in Isaiah chapter 38, he talks about how he was in such agony, such pain that sleep left him. So he's writhing in pain. And yet he's told by the prophet, set your house in order. What did that mean for him? And what does that mean for you and for me? If you've ever been to a funeral in a black church, if you've ever been to a funeral out in the country somewhere with a church that has about five or six different titles in its name, New Song, Primitive Baptist, Mount Hope, Missionary, Mariah Baptist Church, if you've ever been in one of them churches, somebody's going to be given the task of giving words of comfort. And they're going to get up and they're going to give words of comfort by telling the grieving family in particular, get your house in order. Now, we hear that constantly, but what does that mean? Well, answering this question is at the crux of this series. To set your house in order means to arrange your spiritual, relational, financial, and material affairs in such a way before you die that it benefits your loved ones that you leave behind. So to get your house in order means that you arrange or take care of all of your affairs in such a way that your loved ones that you leave behind are benefited from you setting your house in order as opposed to you dying with your house in disarray. And people don't know where the life insurance policy is, if you even have one, where, where people don't know about your accounts, where people don't know who's going to get the car, where people don't know whether or not you're in heaven with God or you're in hell with the devil. Well, you've got to set your affairs in order while you're living spiritually, relationally. Make things right with folks financially, materially. Set your affairs in order so that the ones you leave behind can go on well with life so that they can grieve well our passing and our departure 
as opposed to the confusion that often comes because we didn't set our houses in order. So for the next several weeks, we will be encouraged to make intentional steps in getting our houses in order so that when we die, our loved ones can go on well with life. And you don't want to make your pastor a liar. Because I don't want to be standing, preaching your eulogy, talking about stuff that ain't true. Now, I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to give you a chance to write your obituary ahead of time, to give me notes for your eulogy ahead of time. And in case I go before y'all, I will give you my stuff ahead of time because I don't want any of y'all lying about me. Uh, so, so we're going to give a chance to set some things in order. Why is this so important? Because it is foolish, let the church say foolish, to not prepare yourself for death since it is your destiny. Death is your destiny. Unless Jesus comes today or tomorrow uh, and he takes us alive, we get caught up to be with him. Death is our destiny. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says that Death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take death to heart. Matter of fact, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Death ought to sober us. Death ought to humble us and remind us that we are nothing but grass. Our lives are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. It ought to sober us, but we ought to also prepare for death. And the thing about death is we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen. Most of us won't get a diagnosis like Isaiah to say, set your affairs in order because you're going to die and not live. Um, the Bible says it's appointed to men once to die and after death the judgment. You know your birth date and you can even work it down to the hour you were born where you were born, and, and who was there, because people kept a record. But none of us know the day of our death. So it would behoove us to prepare for that day, because that is our destiny. And so not only is it foolish to not prepare yourself, it's also selfish to not prepare for death for your loved one's sake. So if we don't prepare for death, that's selfish on our part. And we need to make things as easy as possible for those who will grieve our departure. So the question is, are we prepared for death? First and foremost, are we prepared spiritually? Are you born again? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior and as your God? Have you been born again? Have you become a new person? Has Jesus taken your sins upon his body and given you his righteousness in return? Have you been transformed by his grace through faith? Are you a Christian? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? I didn't say, are you a church member? I didn't ask you, did you get baptized? I asked, have you followed Jesus? And if you have not made that decision, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't play with this because you don't want to die without Jesus. Because if you die without Jesus, you are going to go to hell. And you're going to pay for your sins, your own sins, throughout all eternity. But the good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. 
So whereas sin brings death, Jesus brings life. And when we trust him, not only will we be in heaven with God for all eternity, we have an abundant life right now, a different life. We're new people. We're alive and no longer dead. Ah, you got to know Jesus. That's the first thing because, again, I don't want to lie and say, you know, well, uh, I'm not sure where he is. I, I don't know. He might be down there. He might be up there. No, no, no. Let's get that straight. Are you prepared? But what about other affairs? Do you have a will? If so, where is it? Do your family members know where the will is if you have one? If not, when are you going to get one? In a couple of weeks, I'll talk to you about various uh, uh, famous folks, wealthy people, who you would think would have their affairs in order, but so many of them died without a will. And they left their families fighting and squabbling, couldn't even grieve well because they're fighting over money and things. Um, do you have a power of attorney? Who is the executor of your estate? Do you have life insurance? If so, where is the policy? How, how much is it for? Because that will help with burial costs. What about your financial records, uh, your passwords, your bank account numbers, uh, your, your 401ks and your stocks, your bonds? Because if you don't divvy that stuff out to loved ones, the state, <laughs> in most cases, will take those resources. What are your wishes if you are incapacitated? Do you want to be revived? People need to know these things. They need to know what your intentions are now. Do you know what you want for your funeral? You know what songs you want sang. Do you know who you want to give the eulogy because Pastor Chris may tell the truth about you and you want somebody else to come and do it? Uh, what about your burial? Where do you want to be buried? And ah, what about cremation? That's something that Christians are doing and debating today. These things we need to get together. But a lot of us think, oh, I've got time. I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I'll do it next week. I don't really want to talk about that. I'm a little sheepish thinking about my death. Once again, we're believers and we know the one who robbed death of its power. We should be the last people afraid to talk about this kind of stuff. The Bible addresses these things I talked about and more. Oh, we're going to have a good time in the Word of God the next several weeks. Uh, but consider this, though, Psalm 90, verse 12. We're told, so teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Again, no day is promised. Every day is a gift. So when I have this gift, teach me, Lord, to count it to number it. I want to gain a heart of, heart of wisdom to realize, Lord, what it means to live in you, to live for you, how fragile I am, how invincible you are. Teach me, Lord. Give me wisdom while I'm living. But not only that, Proverbs 13, 22, here it is. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So if we're good men, godly men, godly women, we're going to leave something behind for our children. And not confusion, but blessings and benefits. Well, in our text today, Isaiah chapter 38, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, In those days, Hezekiah was sick. 
and near death. And as I mentioned in my prayer, sickness and death not only hangs out in outhouses, but they also make their way into the White House. For the up and out and the down and out, everybody's going to go through sickness and death. That's why Solomon wrote that a living dog is better than a dead lion. For with the living, there is hope. As long as you're alive, you have hope. And it's better to be alive and be a dog than to be dead, and be a king and be dead. And so here's a king that's about to die. So quickly, who was Hezekiah? He was the king of Judah, which was the southern kingdom. He became king at 25 years old. And he reigned for 29 years, which means he died at the age of 54. He was also a righteous man. There were not many righteous kings following after King David. There were a few of them sprinkled in the southern kingdom of Judah. But guess what? In the northern kingdom of Israel, not one king was righteous. Not one. When so-and-so would be born, they were saying, so-and-so did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So-and-so did evil. But with Hezekiah, it said that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Even though his father Ahaz did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, Hezekiah was one of the few kings in the southern kingdom who was a righteous man. In fact, he was a miracle baby, Strong Tower, because his father Ahaz had sacrificed some of his children in the fire. That demonic spirit of killing children, where they would sacrifice their children to the god Malek. And this god had hands that they would heat up. They would put fire under the stone hands and they would heat the fire up. And people, to make a sacrifice to that god, would lay their newborn babies on the altar or on the hands of Malek. That's how far Judah had fallen from God. Yahweh, the giver of life. And so they're sacrificing their children. But Isaiah was not sacrificed. Why? Because God was up to something. He opened the temple doors and restored temple worship. Why? Because his father closed the temple, ransacked the temple, gave the gold that was in the temple to Assyria. But when Hezekiah came to the throne, he opened the temple doors back up, restored temple worship. He reestablished the Levitical priesthood. He reinstituted the Passover. So there's a revival happening in the days of King Hezekiah. And we read this stuff and we think, man, okay, that's great. But do you realize that he had to push against a culture that was anti-God for people who claimed to be with God? And he had to stand up and take them back to the basics, the things that Moses wrote about. And we just kind of read it and say, okay, that's great. That was great resistance to do that. When other kings were putting high places to worship the stars and all these false gods up on the hills, Hezekiah would go up to those high places and tear down those edifices of idolatry. So he went against the grain, and the country witnessed, thank God, a revival under his leadership. But what was going on in those days? Because it says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick. 
Well, when we piece together the record from 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles and Isaiah, here's what we see. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. I like that name, Sennacherib, because it kind of sounds like smack some ribs. Uh, Sennacherib, <laughs> barbecue sauce, the king of Assyria. This man came against Judah. And so after Hezekiah sees all this prosperity, He's bringing the nation back to God. He's being obedient. He's doing the right thing. He's being the right kind of leader. You would think everything would be cool. Uh Uh-uh. Because as he is being used by God, here comes the enemy to try to stop him. So we should not think it's strange when fiery trials come, when we are attempting to live for God. Matter of fact, we should expect these things to come because we're living for God. Because the enemy only messes with those who are a threat to his kingdom. So here comes Sennacherib of Assyria, and he's coming against Judah. Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria by not paying him tribute, at least initially. So his daddy paid off the king. And that still wasn't enough for the king because the king still tried to come and destroy Jerusalem. Hezekiah says, I'm not paying you off. Not only that, Assyria came and they surrounded Jerusalem. Hezekiah prayed. Isaiah prophesied and said he's going to hear a rumor and go back to his homeland. And that happened. Sennacherib went away but he would come back. Now, while he was away, Hezekiah had the wisdom and the ingenuity to create an underground tunnel system to bring water into the city. Because when they would lay siege around Jerusalem with the walls, the enemy would have access to the outside water places. And so they would try to dry up the people on the inside. So Hezekiah said, before y'all come back, We're going to dry up those wells outside so that as y'all camp around us, y'all don't have water, but we're going to pipe this water in underground into the city so that we can have water. He's a good man, a good king, great wisdom. So Hezekiah built an elaborate underground tunnel system that is still there today if you are fortunate to go to Jerusalem. Well, Sennacherib returned, and he presented a threatening letter to Hezekiah. Gave him a letter, gave him a nasty email. Hezekiah took the letter, went into the temple of God, spread it before God, and started to pray. He said, God, you hear what they're saying about you. He prayed, and he asked God to defend the people. And when Sennacherib surrounded the city, he had 185,000 soldiers with him. They taunted the Jews saying, if you surrender to us, we'll give you 2,000 horses if y'all can put riders on them. Don't y'all know who we are? We're the Assyrians. We defeated this nation, that nation, this God, that God, and your God will not be able to stand before us either. Surrender now or else. And while all of this is going on, in those days, Hezekiah, at the age of 39, listen to this, was facing a life-threatening condition. 
He's in the will of God, doing the will of God, leading, serving, doing the right thing, withstanding the enemy, yet he's sick in his body. So don't believe the hype that people who know God don't get sick. I should have got an amen from that. We live in fallen bodies in a fallen world. Righteous people get sick sometimes. This man was sick. So in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. He was dealing with a national and external threat, and he was dealing with a personal health crisis. I'm sure he felt overwhelmed. You ever felt this way? I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to pay my bills. I'm trying to respect people. I'm trying to stay clean, stay sober trying to visit my kids. I'm trying to do the right thing. But the more I try to do what's right, something comes against me to stop me. Now, all of a sudden, I'm going to the doctor, and they're telling me things that's going on. God, where are you? So when you're going through these things, what do you do? When you're doing what God would have you to do, you're standing up against the enemy, yet something is going on in your home or in your body. What do you do? You do what Hezekiah did. The Bible says in verse 2, then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. What do you do? You pray. Stop trying to philosophize, think it out, why it don't make sense. If you're waiting for God to make sense to you, you're going to be waiting for all eternity. Did you hear what I just said? God ain't going to make sense to you or to me. Matter of fact, when we go to heaven, we'll still never be able to know him fully and completely because he is inexhaustible. Jesus said that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and me whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing God. How long is eternity? Forever. How long are we going to be learning and knowing about God? Forever. He's going to blow our mind, even in glory, with his greatness and his magnitude and his awesomeness. My vocabulary is not big enough to explain that kind of stuff. So if you're trying to figure him out, you just need to go on to what Isaiah said later in chapter 55. His ways are just higher than your ways. And his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So when I don't know why he's doing that, when I can't figure out his mind, let me trust his heart. I don't understand why I'm sick and that heathen at my job is healthy. You think it, I think it. That's why the Bible says don't fret over the prosperity of the wicked. Look at the car she driving. You know what she doing. She's selling drugs out the back of the house. Here I am struggling, living check to check. They don't even want to have children. And they just, every time they look at each other, they get pregnant. No one ain't raising them kids, right? <laughs> Lord, where my blessing? I don't understand, but I'm going to trust your heart. I'm going to pray even when I don't understand. He turns his face to the wall. Why? Because he's in a sick bed. 
He can't get on his face on the floor, so he turns his face to the wall. What's the point of that? Because what he's saying is, it's not about me, it's about you. I'm broken. It's, Lord, I don't even want my face to be seen. I'm so humble before you. Lord, have mercy on me. Just like Jesus talked about the man in the temple who couldn't even lift up his head to God. He just had his head down and beat his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Whereas the Pharisee was proud and pompous. Oh, Lord, I'm not like other folk. I'm not like this sinner. I tithe. I go to church. I do this. Mm -mm. Jesus said, you know who went home justified? The person who humbled himself before God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he'll lift you up if you don't faint. He gives grace to the humble, the king who got all this power, all this money, but it can't help right now. He got to go to the doctor, Dr. Jesus, and tell him all about his trouble. He turned his face to the wall and said, Lord, help me. I'm not ready to die. And the Bible says that before Isaiah could cross over the main courtyard, God spoke to the prophet and said, go back in there and tell him, that I'm going to let him live. <laughs> Don't give up on your prayers. He may not come when you want, but he's right on time. Don't, don't give up on your prayers. Had that man not prayed, he would have died. I know what the doctor said, but since I don't know what God has said, I'm going to keep on trusting and believing that he can do a miracle here. As long as there's breath, there's an opportunity for a miracle in my condition or the condition of my loved ones. And if God takes my loved one, it's because God says, it's time. I love them far more than you, and I know what I'm doing. You got to trust me. But until they go or I go, I want some people praying for me. Don't come in there talking about uh, whispering, and I can hear you. Uh, Sister Rena, what? What funeral home y'all working with? Uh, Sister Darina, uh, what suit you going to put him in? Well, he looked good in that blue suit he wore the first Sunday in October. Uh, put him in that. Uh, I can hear you. Because <laughs> God put it in me to want to live. I want to live. To live is Christ. I want to live. So I want people praying for me, man. But Isaiah said, I'm going to pray for myself. Have you ever prayed in such a way where you put your face into the floor? You ate some carpet. God heard this prayer, and I want to say God answered this prayer because this man was desperate. See, some people want other people to pray for them, but they're not even praying for themselves. How desperate are you to want that job, to want that house, to want to be healed, to want that loved one saved? Are you willing to get on your face and on your knees and humble yourself? If you haven't done that yet, you ain't desperate. This man turned his face to the wall. Well, verse 4, verse 5, God heals him. And God gives him 15 more years of life. So God answered this prayer for Hezekiah's sake. Hezekiah said, Lord, I want to live. God says, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. But as I move towards a close, he, he not only answered this prayer for Hezekiah's sake, he answered this prayer for our sake. See, when God's doing something, it, it's bigger than you. 
It's just not about you and your world and what you need. People are watching you, and God's going to use you as a billboard of his grace. Because that's what the Bible says. We're living epistles. We're trophies of grace. People are going to see God through how God walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. People are going to see God with how we trust him, even though we're human and we struggle. People are going to see God through us. When we're going through things, God is like, yeah, I'm going to bless you, but I got a blessing for people who are watching and for people who are going to receive as a result of me blessing you. Pastor Chris, what do you mean? Hezekiah had to live. He had to live for our sake. Why is that? Brother is one of the kings of Judah. Goes back to the prophecy in the book of Genesis where God is speaking, prophesying through Jacob. And he says to Judah that you are the lion and from you the scepter will come and it will never depart from the line of Judah, the lion, the king shall come. So David is of the house of Judah. And God told David, I'm going to build you a house, and from you will come the one who will sit on the throne forever. So that means from David would come his son Solomon going down to Rehoboam, all the way down to Ahaz, and then Hezekiah. But at this time, Hezekiah doesn't have a son yet. So if Hezekiah doesn't have a son, the lineage is cut off in order to get us to the king of kings, Jesus Christ. So in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chases, traces the lineage of Jesus to show that he's the rightful heir to the throne of Judah, the throne of David. And he lists all these names. And guess what? Hezekiah is in Matthew 1. But had he died right here in Isaiah 38, the first part, he'd have died without an heir which means that there was no connection to get us to Jesus. But God says, this ain't just about him, this is about y'all. So I'm going to let him live, give him 15 more years, so he can have a son named Manasseh who becomes king at the age of 12. So somewhere in that 15 years, he and his wife were able to whatever, and then here comes Manasseh who carried on the line to lead us to Jesus. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's about the glory of God. Master, who sinned that this man was born blind? His father or him? Neither. But this happened for the glory of God. So what you're going through, yeah, it's hard. But it's just not about you. This is for the glory of God. God gave him 15 more years. To not only have a son, but watch this. God gave him 15 more years knowing that Hezekiah was going to mess up. See, I don't understand the mind of God. Because Hezekiah, when he got well, because later on, you know, in, in the passage, when God says he's going to live, Isaiah tells his nurses, Hezekiah's nurses, uh, take this uh, poultice branch and apply it to the boil. So God's going to do a miracle accompanied with medicine. I could run down that street because we got a lot of Christians that don't believe in medicine. And God raising up doctors and telling you in Scripture, take a little wine for your stomach. Paul didn't say claim your healing. He said, man, take some you know, Pepto-Bismol, some NyQuil, 
some Robitussin. That's black folks. Every time somebody get hurt, get some Robitussin. Uh, take some ginger ale and some crackers. You got a gash in your head. T take some Robitussin. And some <laughs> so God worked through medicine. Got healed. Brother gets healed. He feeling good. It's a national thing around the then known world. So much so that kings are sending him, get, you know, glad you got well cards. The Babylonians heard that he got well. They send an envoy in. And Hezekiah lets them in, and he walks them all around the palace, showing them all the treasures of God. And as they leave, and Isaiah the prophet walks in and say, who are them brothers right there? Hezekiah said, oh, oh, they're from Babylon. Isaiah said, um, what'd you show them? He said, I showed them everything. Isaiah said, man, you made a mistake. Because those same people are going to come back and rob this place blind. That's why you can't let... Everybody in your house. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, stop it. No, leave that alone, Pastor. Uh, so, because <laughs> you got some greasy family and friends. You ever grow up somewhere and you get like a new appliance and the kind of neighborhood you live in, you can't put the box on the curb because folk will know y'all got a new TV or a new refrigerator. So you got to crush the box up, take it out at night so nobody know. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> that's the way I grew up. I'm sorry. So, so anyway, so. And Hezekiah is like, look, hey, man, okay, the word you spoke is good. As long as that doesn't happen in my lifetime. That's a sermon right there, too. We don't care what's happening to people around the world or at the border or in that state or in that, as long as it ain't happening to me. So Hezekiah made some mistakes. He, he nearly died at the age of 39, but God gave him additional time to get his house in order, and he squandered much of that. If you are alive and under the sound of my voice, God is giving you time to set your house in order. And if you don't know what to do, we're going to help you with that. We're going to teach from the word week by week, and when we get to the end, there are going to be some assignments and some things we're going to encourage you to do. I'm going to give you a book. It's called My Transition Document. And if you fill this out and put it in a place where your loved ones know that it is, it will bless your family. So we're going to walk slowly through this because this is very, very important. So whereas God chose to spare Hezekiah at the age of 39, as he said, a man in his prime, that's what he said, he says, Lord, the dead can't praise you. In other words, when people in the grave, they can't praise you. We know he's in heaven, but he's using a metaphor here. Living people praise you. So he's asking God, don't let me die in my prime. But God heard that prayer, and Hezekiah lived at 39 and was given 15 more years to die at the age of 54. Well, God decided to take another king at the age of 39. This king didn't get an additional 15 years. This, this king died at the age of 39, and this king is none other than Martin Luther King Jr., who died on April 4th, 1968, at the age of 39. 
On one hand, Dr. King seemed to have an eerie premonition that he was going to die. In March of 1968, before he left for Memphis, Dr. King gave his wife Coretta some plastic flowers. And he had never done anything like that before. He normally would give her living flowers, real flowers. But in this case, he gave her plastic flowers. And she didn't understand why he gave that. And, and, and so she asked him, why did you give me these plastic flowers? And he said, I just wanted to give you something to remember me by. So it was like he had a premonition. Well, while in Memphis on April 3rd, Dr. King spoke about going up to the mountaintop. And he told the people in attendance then and even now, he said, I may not get there with you. I may not get there to the promised land, what we've been marching for, protesting for, voting for, fighting for. I may not make it because God took me up to the mountaintop and I've looked over like Moses who didn't make it into the promised land. I may not get there with you. And on the next day, he was shot while standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. He was killed while wearing a suit. Stick a pen here, pause. Some people will say for black people to not be killed by the police, dress yourself up, stop wearing baggy pants and clothes and look more presentable. Well, Dr. King got killed according to his daughter wearing a suit. Because some people, it's not about the clothes, it's about the complexion that makes you a threat. It's about what you're doing that makes you a threat. And with all of that, him knowing his death was imminent, Dr. King did not have a life insurance policy. The only wealth he had was their home, which was valued at about $40,000. So that was the material thing he had to leave to his family. He was too busy in the ministry to sit down and get a life insurance policy. But thank God for Harry Belafonte, who was his friend, who saw the kind of life that he was living. And Harry Belafonte took out a $100,000 life insurance policy on behalf of Martin Luther King so that when he died, Coretta and the children at least had that and the house. So Dr. King, as great as he was, did not get his house in order. He didn't have a will. His children have fought for years with each other about his assets, his papers, his personal belongings. And but let's not do this to our loved one. While we're living, let's make steps to set our houses in order. Would you stand on your feet for prayer? And if there's someone here today, you say, Pastor Chris, man, I hear you, man. I can't get past that part about am I ready to meet God? We said in New Testament class this morning that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The only way to meet God and to be ready to meet God is to come to God through his Son. You must trust Jesus. If you've never done that, today is the day. And if you do that, I want you to come meet me. I want to have a record today of your conversion. It's a good thing, man. Angels in heaven are rejoicing. I want to rejoice with you. Or if you say, Pastor, would you pray with me? 
so that today I can know that I have a relationship with God. I know it's not all about going to heaven. You know, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a byproduct. That's a benefit. But it's about him living through you. That you're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet, not I. But it's Christ who lives in me. He'll live in you. And the life you live in the flesh, you'll live by faith in the Son of God. One day at a time with joy and power. If you don't have a church home and you say, you know what? I need to become a part of this church. Come see me. We have a class coming up. If you can't make that class, we'll put you down for the next one. But let's make some intentional steps to get our houses in order. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to deal with sober things, real things. Although we have eternal life for those of us who know Jesus, we are not humanly invincible. We suffer. We have pain. We die. And we don't know when that'll be. So help us, Lord, to think through this and, and to do some things now that will benefit our family, that will even benefit this church. So thank you, Jesus. May we tell our friends what you're doing in this church and invite them to come. Because no matter who we are, we're going this way, the way of the earth. And we need to set our houses in order. But I'm so thankful that we have a God who took care of death. And so we can even laugh in those days that are to come. Wow, we have joy unspeakable. So Lord, as we leave this place, would you cause your face to shine upon us? Would you give us peace? Would you bless us in the city and in the field? Would you bless us in our going out and in our coming in? Thank you for keeping us from falling and presenting us faultless before your throne with exceeding joy. We give you glory as the only wise God, our Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Go have a blessed day. Amen. There's more coming, more coming. We'll see you next Sunday, Lord willing.